This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at fearfreepets.com. This is the Fear Free Podcast Series. I'm your host, Steve Dale, with Mikkel Becker, certified dog trainer, and so much more than that. I would like to, you deserve a longer introduction, Mikkel, like for me spending 30 minutes introducing you because there's, I don't mean, you know, there's so much that you've done in your career and it's always, always a pleasure to talk to you. How, How have you been? I've been doing great. Thanks, Steve. It's so good to be able to talk to you again. I, I miss seeing you in person. Well, we'll rectify that at some point soon. I will tell you, and are you ready for a dramatic true story? Yes, So always. Yeah, so I was helping a client, and that client said, well, here's my problem, here's my problem. And then when I take out the nail clippers, the dog runs away, hides in a corner. So what she does is pull out the dog. And she tries the best she can, and she fails. But along the way, she's failed, not to her own fault, in lots of different ways, right? Because she has exasperated the fear or sheer terror this dog already has each time she forces or tries to, unsuccessfully even, force the nail-cutting experience. So now she has a dog that is so terrified that she just doesn't know what to do. And this is not an unusual story, is it? No, unfortunately, it's so common. Nail trims are, I would say, the greatest fear that animals have when it, tum- when it comes to their handling, when it comes to their regular care. And nail trims in and of themselves can really poison a pet's trust in people and in their caregivers. So I know a lot of, of places actually aren't doing nail trims for that reason, that they want to the pet to have better associations, especially when it comes to, to that emergency care, that really necessary care. It's not worth destroying the pet's trust in people just over trimming their nails, but we still have to get it done. And one of the best ways that we can do it is being able to train the pet guardian or specific caregivers how to do it in a more fear-free way. And of course, my next question is, How do we do that? It's easier said than done. So I'll start with uh, the dog. And there's more information at fearfreepets.com about all this. But I'll start with that dog that afraid isn't the right word, is it? It really is a panic attack, I think. Oh, absolutely. It it is. And there are certain tools that pets have these fear-based memories with. And I like with Temple Grandin, where she talks about pets that have been into a certain veterinary hospital had a really traumatic experience prior to fear free. A lot of times for those pets, it's actually better for them to go to a different hospital entirely or to go into an entirely different room. And I think it's the same thing with nail trim tools. We want to look at using something that's different. So if your pet has a toxic relationship with the nail trimmers that you're currently using or with your Dremel, I would ditch those all together and pick out a new pair. And so there are different types. There's the guillotine type, there's more scissor type. We can look at 
at different things like uh, nail files or dremels or or just different nail grinders but choosing something that's going to look and sound different for your pet is probably going to help you get a head start on helping your pet to have a different association with those nail clippers because otherwise you're really combating that really ingrained fear and so you're going to ease your own training plan just by simply switching the tool that you're using I will add to that, not even only switching the tool you're using, but also where you put that tool. So if it's typically in the kitchen drawer over there, then put it in an office, in a file cabinet over there as well. Do you agree? Oh my gosh. I love that you brought that up. That's so important because pets are always paying attention to different environmental cues that are going on around them. And so that's a perfect point that you brought up is doing it in a different place and in a different way. And so if you can do it in a way when you're relaxed and when there's less pressure, one of my favorite ways is to have someone have their nail trim tools and their treats right there by where they relax at the couch or maybe where they read the paper, things like that, where they like to scroll through their social media feeds. So somewhere where they're already relaxing, where their pet likes to kind of snuggle up or is already relaxed themselves, that's going to be a better bet than the place that you've, you've done the nail trims previously. Do you make a positive association, Mikkel, before you even clip or try to clip a single nail? Yes, absolutely. Great point. So what we want to do, because even if we switch tools, if we go back to the same old way of doing things, we're, we're going to poison that tool for that pet too. So instead, we want to build up that really positive, happy association. And this can be as easy as taking out that nail trim tool and then delivering their meal or playing ball, something that they really enjoy. I have a new stray cat that we adopted named Milo. And the way that I'm getting him used to his nail trim tool is actually every time I bring it out, then he gets a petting and love session. Like he is the most affectionate cat that really enjoys just snuggling. And so for him, he, he rubs up against the tool. I'm petting him. And that's actually been the easiest way to trim his nails is just when he's already relaxed on top of me and I can do it in a lower stress way, sometimes using treats, using petting, but really using what your pet likes and going at their pace. I think so many times we're on our own timetable and we try and force it with the pet, make sure it gets done all at once that day. We want to do, we want to do every nail where what actually would help us long-term would be to take it at their pace and to not push too far too fast. And maybe even just one nail a day, that is a huge win over time. I wanna get back to that in a second. Now, you know I'm a fan of clicker training. I know you are too, but I'll tell you, and I'm curious what your take on this is, explaining to clients, okay, so what you do is you take out the clicker and then you click and then you make a positive association with the treat. And then first you load the clicker and then you, and to go through all of that, well, it can be done. And there are certain clients who are all over this. And the great thing about clicker training is there's no leash, there's no pulling, there's no tugging. With cats, they're gonna make the choice anyway, but this, is, this works on cats just as well, if not better, I would argue, than dogs. However, is there a way to do this that you would endorse without the clicker that is just as effective and just, I would argue more effective in a sense because compliance will be better. And, and the explanation to clients is easier than clicker training. And I'm not down on clicker training at all. 
Yeah. So, so basically how to make this training more applicable to a person where they aren't having to basically juggle so many different tools and trying to remember every step and just doing it in a more practical way. Is that what you're, you're saying? I guess. Yes. Uh, that's exactly what I'm saying. And again, I'm not saying the clicker training is not an option. I'm just, I, I'm asking you because you're, you are the queen of all this <laughs> as, as to what you would advise veterinary professionals tell clients. So what I would definitely advise is having some type of marker signal. And actually what I was wondering if you were getting at as you were, were talking there is the actual clip of the nail in and of itself can become almost like the click. So when the pet hears the clip of the nail, that signals a reward that comes. So for some pets, that in and of itself is like, ooh, it's like that, that excitement, that happy anticipation. And for a lot of pets, that's a, a very doable practice. So I might use a word such as treat or food or whatever word that you use, just make it sound a little bit different from your voice. For those pets that are nice and relaxed after you clip their nail, the nail itself, that sensation, that sound, that in and of itself can replace the click and mean that treat. If you have a pet that's really excited though, and maybe they start getting all squirmy and like jump when they hear that, that sound in anticipation of the treat, that's where we may want to do a little bit more handling right after the clip. So, and then we still use that treat word. So essentially what it is, is we are pairing touch equals treat. So every time we touch or we clip, it, to the pet, we are trying to signal that something really good is going to happen. And we can use that release word such as treat, or for some pets that are more relaxed and laid back, just the clipping of the nail can signal, ooh, something really good is going to happen now. And so we just pair it with those positives and make it a more enjoyable experience. And really what it comes down to is having different ways that we can watch the pet's body language and we can watch our overall behavior to see if they're consenting or if they're withdrawing consent in that situation. And that's where we get it wrong so often is taking away that pet's voice and choice to interact. So if we force the care on that pet and they're trying to politely tell us, okay, I've had enough or I need a break, but we keep going, that's where we're going to lose our trust. That's where those negative associations are built. But if we have different ways, as we cover in the next nail, next level nail trims course, we have lots of different ways that you can teach consent behaviors to the pets you're working with. And this can be as simple as having a treatment station to actually asking them to voluntarily offer you their paws. And so offering you their front paws, a lot of pets will do that already with a shake or a high five. Pets can also learn how to do this with their back paws too. So they can voluntarily offer us their paws upon request. And if they don't do it, then we can think, and this is a trained behavior, we can think, okay, maybe we need to adjust something here. Maybe I'm adjusting how I'm sitting, or maybe we're adjusting the time of day. So looking at different ways that we can influence the pet in a way that builds their trust in that situation and really honors them when they don't want to participate. A lot of times, just by giving them the, the choice and voice to say no, we actually encourage them to participate more because they have, have that agency. And so the more that we give that pet that voluntary choice and we build those positive associations, those really, really good rewards for their participation, the more it becomes like a fun game and we really build that relationship at the same time. And you're enhancing the bond, I would suggest, also with the pet parent, 
rather than doing the opposite of it, which used to be the notion was, even in veterinary medicine, I would, I would argue, uh, among technicians and nurses and veterinarians was, okay, we just need to get this done because there's someone else next that's waiting. Well, ultimately, if you go through what you're explaining, you'll be able to do it just as quickly, I, I think. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Not only are you able to get it done just as quickly, but a lot of times you're getting it done even faster and with less stress and less physical risk and emotional risk to you and the pet. So it's less of a struggle, it's more enjoyable, and it gets faster over time. So just by putting in that time on the front end to really build that foundation, you're building a stronger house. You are really building something that you can stand on for a long time. Whereas when we're taking that that quick and dirty approach, I always say just get it done doesn't work in the long run because what you will run into are the pets that struggle more and they eventually have that progression to aggression where it becomes really dangerous for both of you and so we want to prevent that altogether by keeping it voluntary keeping it fun and moving at that pet's pace i think we left out one like minor step here uh, and that is location i think that at times depending on the pet Having a location to do certain things in the house, up either on a yoga mat or a pet bed or whatever the choice is, where if the pet's enjoying it, and I know I'm going here, and I'm going to have something enjoyable happen, aside from the treats and the petting and the play, you mentioned all those things appropriately, can location matter? Oh, absolutely. Pets will learn, okay, it's safe to interact with this person in this situation, whereas it's not in this situation. And a lot of times pets enjoy doing nail trims on the couch or or just on like, you maybe have like a big ottoman that you relax on, places like that where you're more laid back because it's less likely you're going to hold them down. And um, actually, I've known a lot of pets that will allow handling, including nail trims, when the person is going to the bathroom. And so I've had stop, clients before. Stop, stop, I'm stop. Serious. What? What? So there I am. <laughs> there I am, a professional of sorts, in the doing what I do. I'm supposed to give it. I mean, I can multitask, Mikkel, but I, I can't do that and cut nails at the same time. What are, What are you suggesting? Well, I'm just saying you you do what works. So, you know, for those those pets that have learned that, hey, when they're doing their business, they don't get up and they don't chase me. They have to stay right there. It actually builds that pet's trust in that person in that specific situation that feels more safe for them. So definitely, it's not something I recommend for everyone, but I have had people in the past that that's the place that their pet is most comfortable comfortable doing different care procedures, including nail trim. So they just stock up, have their tools right on hand. And, you know, while I've never gone that far, I, I say, hey, do what works. And it, if it works, it works. And and it works for both the person and the pet. So I guess more power to them. Okay. Well, let's get by that and advising clients to do that, because that might be very complicated for clients to do. <laughs> uh, I'd rather talk about this. So the the thing that happens when we kind of push it too far is that cortisol builds over time. They actually, as we talked about, they'll actually, in worst case scenario, uh, and it happens every single day to millions of pets around the country, they're sheer panicked. And then our relationship with them as pet parents diminishes every time we do this their fear goes up. It's like a snowball. It keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But the question I have and that I get so often 
and you must too. I have an eight-year-old cat. My cat's always been terrified of the nail clippers. I have a 12-year-old dog who's always been terrified of the nail clippers. And the question I'm getting to is, can you readjust the way that dog or cat thinks? Absolutely. And, and a lot of that does come down to taking a different approach. So different place, different way that we're approaching them and giving the, that pet that ability to tell their human if they're feeling comfortable and, and really like, I, I think it's more for the person than it necessarily even is for the pet, because for people, they can a lot of times miss those more subtle stress cues that the pet gives off. And so a lot of times it escalates to the point where it does become a struggle before it's like, okay, okay, we need to adjust something here. But if we can adjust in those early stages and reward the pet's participation early on, just for simple things like letting us handle their shoulder or grip their shoulder, things like that, you're going to build their participation with some of the more complicated and high request behaviors that can come later on. So we really want to break down that process into multiple steps. So for instance, if we go right for the paw, that's going to be super scary. So we want to use touch gradient, which would be starting off in a place where the pet is comfortable and then gradually moving to those other places and specifically down to the paws and touching the nails. But in order to get there, a lot of times we want to break down that process multiple times. We may not even go down all the way to the paws on that first session, depending upon how fearful that pet is. And we may want to do things like actually gripping the shoulder or gripping the hip in the same way that we ultimately will grip the paw, because just that grip, that hold is so different than the way that we normally handle paws. For instance, that the pet's like, uh oh, something bad's going to happen. Whenever they hold me like that, that means something I don't like is about to occur. So we want to teach them that, hey, when that happens, really good things happen to you. So we break it down, make it a lot easier for them, and we give them those consent behaviors. So there are different ways that we can look at those. So such as teaching a pet a Zen down or a play dead where they lie on their side. Some pets are comfortable in that position and very unlike where there were, there were the forced holds and movement of a, pet, of a pet into a lateral down position where they're lying on their side. This is one that's all voluntary by the pet. If they choose to get up, if they move out of place, they start to shift out of position the nail handling stops, the nail trim stops. So they always have that ability to say no or to pause and to readjust before we proceed. And we can look at other, other consent behaviors too, such as a chin rest, a treatment station, which is the pet moving on to a non-slip surface, such as an easy visit pet, pet vet mat or yoga mat or bath mat, something with a non-slip bottom. So when the pet moves onto their mat, their treatment station, it's almost like they're stepping up to bat and they're like, okay, I'm ready to play, ready to, ready for you to, to, you know, to, to toss me that ball, to do what comes next. So that's where we can do some of the handling. We can do that interaction. But if the pet starts to look away, starts to shift off, if they move off their mat, that interaction stops. It pauses, it stops completely altogether. The pet is never forced to participate. And by having that ability, it really helps people to pay more attention to what their pet is saying and make adjustments early on before the pet escalates to that point of stress where it becomes more of a struggle or especially that progression to aggression that might occur. What if uh, the client cuts the quick? What do you tell that client who is now more afraid than the pet is? 
Absolutely. So I, I think it's taking away that fear for that person, first of all, and letting them feel like they're prepared beforehand. So always recommend to have your quick stop, um, to have your cornstarch if you're in a pinch, uh, to have your Q-tips, everything right there on hand, and even practice before just on a nail that has nothing, like just a nail that's completely intact, there's no bleeding, practice it. So, you know, if the worst that's going to happen is, is, yes, you will create that potentially painful association for the pet. And it can increase that fear, but a lot of times we can come back from that. What's really scary though to the pet is the person freaking out, trying to hold their pet still, the pet's bleeding and it just escalates, especially because pets are so perceptive of human emotions. So the more calm and nonchalant we can be, it's just, okay, no big deal. The better off the pet is going to be because unfortunately mistakes do happen. And if it does happen, we want to try and make it not be a big deal. And one of my favorite tips that I've learned from another professional is Monique Fairchild. Mm -hmm. And she says that when you're trimming the pet's nail, you want to make it like nail confetti. So you're just doing little tiny, tiny slivers off of the end of the nail. And by doing that, we reduce that risk of ever even hitting the quick in the first place. Because I think one of the big mistakes we can make is taking off a huge chunk, which can get really close to the quick, that sensitive area, create those painful, scary associations. But if we're just doing those little tiny confetti-like pieces off of the nail, it, it becomes a lot more difficult to actually hit that quick of the pet. So definitely doing those confetti pieces. And also we can even teach pets to actively wear down their own nails by using things like scratch pads, where the pet actively scratches their paws on an actual board that has an abrasive surface that helps to wear those nails down more naturally. Where can people learn more about this, Mikkel? So if you go to fearfreepets.com, we have two nail trim courses on there, the, the intro to nail trims and the next level nail trims. And for all of our certified professionals, that's some of the continued CE that you get for free with your certification. So definitely check that out. Absolutely. You know what? And I'll tell you, if have you ever trimmed uh, the pads of an elephant? No. Have you? Yes. And what I Whoa. learned, what I've learned, well, actually, what I've spent more time doing is shoveling at the other end of the elephant, but that's another story. But what, 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 you can't force an elephant to do much. So obviously the elephant is being compliant. And if we could teach elephants to do that, I think we can teach cats to do that. And I could say that when I did it, there was that was certainly the elephant in the room. If you're already registered for Fear Free, be sure to keep up with all the Fear Free happenings, access the new toolbox items, and find all the additional courses at fearfreepets.com. And of course, if you're not registered, find everything you need to get started at fearfreepets.com. If you're a member interested in pursuing practice certification, Get more details on the same site under the Veterinary About section. And if you're a pet owner who just stumbled upon this podcast, learn more about the resources we have for you at FearFreeHappyHomes.com, which this lady, Mikkel Becker, is queen of. FearFreeHappyHomes.com. Mikkel, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Steve.